Section four of the Underground Railroad, Part one. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Underground Railroad, Part one, by William Still. Section four. Seth Conklin. Part four. Stunning and discouraging as this horrible ending was to all concerned, and serious as the matter looked in the eyes of Peter's friends with regard to Peter's family, he could not for a moment abandon the idea of rescuing them from the jaws of the destroyer. But most formidable difficulties stood in the way of obtaining correspondence with reliable persons in Alabama. Indeed, it seemed impossible to find a merchant, lawyer, doctor, planter, or minister who was not too completely interlinked with slavery to be relied upon to manage a negotiation of this nature. Whilst waiting and hoping for something favorable to turn up, the subjoined letter from the owner of Peter's family was received and is here inserted precisely as it was written, spelled, and punctuated. McKiernan's Letter South Florence, Alabama 6 August, 1851 Mr. William Still, Number 31, North 5th Street, Philadelphia Sir, a few days since Mr. Louis Therrington of Tuscumbia, Alabama, showed me a letter dated 6 June, 51, from Cincinnati, signed Samuel Lewis, in behalf of a Negro man by the name of Peter Gist, who informed the writer of the letter that you were his brother and wished an answer to be directed to you, as he, Peter, would be in Philadelphia. The object of the letter was to purchase from me three Negroes, that is, Peter's wife, and three children, two sons and one girl, the name of said Negroes are the woman, Viney, the mother, eldest son Peter, twenty-one or two years old, second son Levin, nineteen or twenty years, one girl about thirteen or fourteen years old. The husband and father of these people once belonged to a relation of mine by the name of Gist, now deceased, and some few years since he, Peter, was sold to a man by the name of Friedman, who removed to Cincinnati, Ohio, and tuck Peter with him, of course, Peter became free by the voluntary act of the master sometime last March. A white man by the name of Miller appeared in the neighborhood and abducted the above Negroes, was caught at Vincennes, Indy, with said Negroes, and was there convicted of stealing and remanded back to Alabama to abide the penalty of the law, and on his return meet his just reward by getting drowned at the mouth of the Cumberland River on the Ohio in attempting to make his escape. I recovered and brought back said four negroes, or as you would say, colored people, under the belief that Peter the husband was accessory to the offense thereby putting me to much expense and trouble to the amount of one thousand dollars, which if he gets them he or his friends must refund these four negroes are worth in the market about four thousand, for they are extraordinary fine and likely and but for the fact of elopement I would not take $8,000 for them. But as the thing now stands, you can say to Peter and his new-discovered relations in Philadelphia, I will take 5000 for the four colored people, and if this will suit him, and he can raise the money. I will deliver them to him or his agent at Paducah, at the mouth of Tennessee River, said Negroes, but the money must be deposited in the hands of some respectable person at Paducah before I remove the property. It would not be safe for Peter to come to this country. Write a line on receipt of this, and let me know Peter's views on the above. 
I am yours, etc., B. McKiernan. N.B. Say to Peter to write and let me know his views immediately, as I am determined to act in a way, if he don't take this offer, he will never have another opportunity. B. McKiernan. William Stills Answer Philadelphia, August 16, 1851 To B. McKiernan, Esquire Sir, I have received your letter from South Florence, Alabama, under the date of the 6th instant. To say that it took me by surprise, as well as afforded me pleasure, for which I feel very much indebted to you, is no more than true. In regard to your informants of myself, Mr. Thornton of Alabama, and Mr. Samuel Lewis of Cincinnati, to them both I am a stranger. However, I am the brother of Peter, referred to, and with the fact of his having a wife and three children in your service I am also familiar. This brother, Peter, I have only had the pleasure of knowing for the brief space of one year and thirteen days, although he is now past forty, and I twenty-nine years of age. Time will not allow me at present, or I should give you a detailed account of how Peter became a slave, the forty long years which intervened between the time he was kidnapped when a boy, being only six years of age, and his arrival in this city from Alabama, one year and fourteen days ago, when he was reunited to his mother, five brothers, and three sisters. None but a father's heart can fathom the anguish and sorrows felt by Peter during the many vicissitudes through which he has passed. He looked back to his boyhood and saw himself snatched from the tender embraces of his parents and home to be made a slave for life. During all his prime days he was in the faithful and constant service of those who had no just claim upon him. In the meanwhile he married a wife, who bore him eleven children, the greater part of whom were emancipated from the troubles of life by death, and only three survived. To them and his wife he was devoted. Indeed, I have never seen attachment between parents and children, or husband and wife, more entire than was manifested in the case of Peter. Through these many years of servitude, Peter was sold and resold, from one state to another, from one owner to another, till he reached the forty-ninth year of his age, when, in a good providence, through the kindness of a friend and the sweat of his brow, he regained the God-given blessings of liberty. He eagerly sought his parents and home with all possible speed and pains, when, to his heart's joy, he found his relatives. Your present humble correspondent is the youngest of Peter's brothers, and the first one of the family he saw after arriving in this part of the country. I think you could not fail to be interested in hearing how we became known to each other, and the proof of our being brothers, etc., all of which I should be most glad to relate, but time will not permit me to do so. The news of this wonderful occurrence, of Peter finding his kindred, was published quite extensively, shortly afterwards, in various newspapers, in this quarter, which may account for the fact of Miller's knowledge of the whereabouts of the fugitives. Let me say, it is my firm conviction that no one had any hand in persuading Miller to go down from Cincinnati, or any other place, after the family. As glad as I should be, and as much as I would like to do for the liberation of Peter's family, now no longer young, and his three likely children, in whom he prides himself, how much if you are a father, you can imagine. Yet I would not, and could not, think of persuading any friend to peril his life, as would be the case, in an errand of that kind. As regards the price fixed upon by you for the family, I must say I do not think it possible to raise half that amount, though Peter authorized me to say he would give you twenty-five hundred for them. 
probably he is not aware as i am how difficult it is to raise so large a sum of money from the public the applications for such objects are so frequent among us in the north and have always been so liberally met that it is no wonder if many get tired of being called upon to be sure some of us brothers own some property but no great amount certainly not enough to enable us to bear so great a burden mother owns a small farm in new jersey on which she has lived for nearly forty years from which she derives her support in old age this small farm contains between forty and fifty acres and is the fruit of my father's toil two of my brothers own small places also but they have young families and consequently consume nearly as much as they make with the exception of adding some improvements to their places for my own part i am employed as a clerk for a living but my salary is quite too limited to enable me to contribute any great amount towards so large a sum as is demanded thus you see how we are situated financially we have plenty of friends but little money now sir allow me to make an appeal to your humanity although we are aware of your power to hold as property those poor slaves mother daughter and two sons that in no part of the united states could they escape and be secure from your claim nevertheless would your understanding your heart or your conscience reprove you should you restore them without price that dear freedom which is theirs by right of nature or would you not feel a satisfaction in so doing which all the wealth of the world could not equal at all events could you not so reduce the price as to place it in the power of peter's relatives and friends to raise the means for their purchase at first i doubt not but that you will think my appeal very unreasonable but sir serious reflection will decide whether the money be demanded by you after all will be of as great a benefit to you as the satisfaction you would find in bestowing so great a favor upon those whose entire happiness in this life depends mainly upon your decision in the matter if the entire family cannot be purchased or freed what can vina and her daughter be purchased for hoping sir to hear from you at your earliest convenience i subscribe myself your obedient servant william still to mr mckiernan esq no reply to this letter was ever received from mckiernan the cause of his reticence can be as well conjectured by the reader as the writer time will not admit of further details kindred to this narrative the life struggles and success of peter and his family were ably brought before the public in the kidnapped and the ransomed being the personal recollections of peter still and his wife vina after forty years of slavery by mrs kate e r pickard with an introduction by rev samuel j may and an appendix by william h furness d d in eighteen fifty six but of course it was not prudent or safe in the days of slavery to publish such facts as are now brought to light all such had to be kept concealed in the breast of the fugitives and their friends the following brief sketch touching the separation of peter and his mother will fitly illustrate this point and at the same time explain certain mysteries which have been hitherto kept hidden the separation with regard to peter's separation from his mother when a little boy in few words the facts were these his parents levin and sydney were both slaves on the eastern shore of maryland i will die before i submit to the yoke was the declaration of his father to his young master before either was twenty-one years of age consequently he was allowed to buy himself at a very low figure and he paid the required sum and obtained his free papers when quite a young man the young wife and mother remaining in slavery under saunders griffin as also her children the latter having increased to the number of four 
two little boys and two little girls. But to escape from chains, stripes, and bondage, she took her four little children and fled to a place near Greenwich, New Jersey. Not a great while, however, did she remain there in the state of freedom before the slave hunters pursued her, and one night they pounced upon the whole family, and without judge or jury hurried them all back to slavery. Whether this was kidnapping or not is for the reader to decide for himself. Safe back in the hands of her owner, to prevent her from escaping a second time, every night for about three months she was cautiously kept locked up in the garret, until, as they supposed, she was fully cured of the desire to do so again. But she was incurable. She had been a witness to the fact that her own father's brains had been blown out by the discharge of a heavily loaded gun, deliberately aimed at his head by his drunken master. She only needed half a chance to make still greater struggles for even greater freedom. She had faith in God, and found much solace in singing some of the good old Methodist tunes, by day and night. Her owner, observing this apparently tranquil state of mind, indicating that she seemed better contented than ever, concluded that it was safe to let the garret door remain unlocked at night. Not many weeks were allowed to pass before she resolved to again make a bold strike for freedom. This time she had to leave the two little boys, Levin and Peter, behind. On the night she started she went to the bed where they were sleeping, kissed them, and, consigning them to the hands of God, bade her mother good-bye, and with her two little girls wended her way again to Burlington County, New Jersey, but to a different neighborhood from that where she had been seized. She changed her name to Charity, and succeeded in again joining her husband. But, alas, with a heart-breaking thought that she had been compelled to leave her two little boys in slavery, and one of the little girls on the road for her father to go back after. Thus she began life in freedom anew. Levin and Peter, eight and six years of age respectively, were now left at the mercy of the enraged owner, and were soon hurried off to a southern market and sold, while their mother, for whom they were daily weeping, was they knew not where. They were too young to know that they were slaves, or to understand the nature of the afflicting separation. Sixteen years before Peter's return, his older brother, Levin, died a slave in the state of Alabama, and was buried by the surviving brother, Peter. No idea other than that they had been kidnapped from their mother ever entered into their minds, nor had they any knowledge of the state from whence they supposedly had been taken, the last names of their mother or father, or where they were born. On the other hand, the mother was aware that the safety of herself and her rescued children depended on keeping the whole transaction a strict family secret. During the forty years of separation, except for two or three Quaker friends, including the devoted friend of the slave, Benjamin Lundy, it is doubtful whether any other individuals were let into the secret of her slave life. And when the account given of Peter's return, etc., was published in 1850, it led some of the family to apprehend serious danger from the partial revelation of the early condition of the mother, especially as it was about the time that the Fugitive Slave Law was passed. Hence, the author of The Kidnapped and the Ransomed was compelled to admit these dangerous facts, and had to confine herself strictly to the personal recollections of Peter Still, with regard to his being kidnapped. Likewise, in the sketch of Seth Conklin's Eventful Life, written by Mr. W. H. Furness, for similar reasons he felt obliged to make but bare reference to his wonderful agency in relation to Peter's family, although he was fully aware of all the facts in the case. End of section 4. Recording by Marianne Spiegel.